The man he is watching always arrives within five minutes either side of nine. He parks his year-old Hyundai by one of the skimpy Palo Verde trees at the rear of the lot. Lunch he takes at the restaurant half a block away, home cooking and daily specials painted in block yellow letters on the front window. Periodically his head and shoulders may be seen in one of the second-story windows. He is among neither the first nor the last to leave. How this man could possibly be of such concern as to bring someone to engage his services, Christian can't imagine. A nondescript office dweller at a nondescript accounting firm in a featureless city where everything is dun-colored. None of that is any concern of his. Interesting, though, that he thinks it. The client is asked that it be clean, without the possibility of connection, clue, or trace, no indication of professional work, nothing to suggest that it might be anything other than one of the random deaths occurring hourly in cities, drug deals or muggings gone sour, ramped-up lovers' quarrels, gang initiations, drive-bys. Two tables over, a couple is having what his girlfriend back in college called the talk. Their voices are quiet, their physical interchange is limited to gestures, eyes, and a game-like shuffling of objects, spoons, glass bin of sweetener, water glass, coffee cups, on the tabletop, but the substance of their discourse is identical to that on the balcony last evening. Every human interaction, even the most unremarkable, is an economic exchange, he thinks. Each side wants something and it still amazes him how much anger is in people. You see it always in their eyes, in the pitch of voices kept low, in the way they pass through doors or down hallways. So many of them are like jars, forever filling. He finishes his coffee, toast, and oatmeal and leaves a small tip, pays at the register where the cashier and the other waitress are talking about classic TV shows. On the street, a well-appointed homeless man starts toward him, then, with a closer look at his face, something seen there, turns away. Christian steps after him, reaching for his wallet even as he does, but thinks better of it. Too much already that the waitress remembers him. There is a small park up the street, just a clump of trees and a bench at street's edge, really, but somehow in this strange place it's even earned a name, Willamette Park, and for two days he's passed an hour or so there following breakfast. He is of an age that no one thinks it amiss for him to be dawdling unoccupied at nine in the morning with his open-necked shirt, loose khaki pants, and polyester sports jacket. He could easily be a retiree from any of the dozen apartment complexes set in the interlocking streets back off the thoroughfare here. He's not read a newspaper in years, but carries one. There are pigeon droppings, like tides of dried chalk on the bench, so he removes a section from the paper and sits on that. It's because they have no sphincters, he thinks. Birds have no sphincters. Giraffes have no voice. Dogs see only black and white. So little difference, finally, between an adaptive characteristic and a liability. We all make do. We find ways around.
can't see as well from here, but the building with the man he's watching, the building with the name Brell set into a fan of bricks above the entryway, remains in his line of sight. He remembers one of his favorites, the show about cephalopods. Fish were disappearing from tanks in a marine lab. They couldn't figure out what was going on, all these brilliant scientists. The lab was locked, and no one came in at night. The tanks were covered save for a narrow space at the top. Finally, they set up cameras, caught it on film. Each night, the octopus had been heaving itself out of its tank, crossing dry countertop and pushing its body through the impossibly narrow opening to treat itself to a midnight buffet from a neighboring tank.